You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The U.S. Attorney General has reported to Congress the results of Special Counsel Mueller's investigation. ISIS no longer holds any ground. Expect it back in cyberspace. Locker Goga ransomware hits two chemical plants. FEMA mishandles more than two million disaster victims' PII. Notes on Cyber 912. And there's a squabble for YouTube subscribers. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 25, 2019. Special Counsel Robert Mueller closed his probe of Russian election meddling with a report to the U.S. Attorney General Friday. Sunday afternoon, Reuters tweeted that Attorney General Barr informed Congress that the investigation found no knowing collusion between the Trump campaign and Russian actors. The Attorney General's letter to the Senate and House Judiciary Committees summarized the investigation into Russian influence operations. Those operations followed two broad directions of attack, trolling from Russia's Internet Research Agency and attacks on Democratic Party networks. In these matters, the special counsel found that neither, quote, the Trump campaign or anyone associated with it conspired or coordinated with Russia in its efforts to influence the 2016 U.S. presidential election, end quote. Special counsel Mueller declined to make a recommendation on obstruction of justice, where the evidence is complicated and indistinct, and the attorney general sees nothing to warrant charges. As the letter continues, quote, After reviewing the special counsel's final report on these issues, consulting with department officials, including the Office of Legal Counsel, and applying the principles of federal prosecution that guide our charging decisions, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and I have concluded that the evidence developed during the special counsel's investigation is not sufficient to establish that the president committed an obstruction of justice offense. Our determination was made without regard to, and is not based on, the constitutional considerations that surround the indictment and criminal prosecution of a sitting president. End quote. The special counsel will not recommend any further indictments. The full text of the Mueller report is expected to be released after the Justice Department reviews it to redact any information the federal rule of criminal procedure precludes the department from disclosing. ISIS and its caliphate now officially controls no territory, having been ejected from its last enclaves in Syria. Its leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, remains at large or at least unaccounted for. So does much of the terrorist group's money. Its adherents intend to continue jihad through the Dar al-Harb, which is where most of you listeners reside. ISIS has shown small capability to conduct cyber attacks properly considered, but it has been and can be expected to remain active online with inspiration and recruitment. 
Kaspersky Lab reports that Asus laptops were infected with malware via the company's automatic updating system. Kaspersky calls the campaign Operation Shadowhammer. There's no attribution yet, and Asus hasn't commented publicly, but Kaspersky says they've notified the Taiwan-based manufacturer and that Asus is working on the problem. Operation Shadowhammer appears to have been conducted between June and November of last year and may have affected 51,000 users. The locker Goga ransomware that afflicted Norsk Hydro has hit two U.S. chemical companies, Hexion and Momentive. This brings to four the number of known victims of Locker Goga. The first was Altran, the French engineering consultancy hit in January, and the second was Norsk Hydro, best known for aluminum production, which sustained a Locker Goga infection earlier this month. Norsk Hydro has largely completed its recovery, and both Hexion and Momentive have theirs underway. On Friday, the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, acknowledged improperly disclosing disaster victims' personally identifiable information to an unauthorized third party. The people affected were victims of 2017's California wildfires and of hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. Some 2.3 million people's data were exposed in what The Washington Post calls the biggest data breach to occur under the current administration. It's not clear whether any crimes have been committed on the basis of the lost data, but if nothing else, the incident will test the government's express determination to hold officials responsible for mishandling data. FEMA has declined to name the contractor with whom it overshared. The PCI Software Security Council recently published a new software security framework, including the PCI Secure Software Standard and the PCI Secure Software Lifecycle. Rohit Sethi is Chief Operating Officer at Security Compass, and he shares his thoughts on what it all means. It is much more in-depth on the requirements for people producing software to make sure that software is secure. Now, at this point, it's just the standards. Uh, There is no uh, program around it, meaning there isn't anything rolled out yet that says when it's going to be mandatory for specific participants in the payment ecosystem, but we expect that to happen later this year. I think there's two ways to think about this. There's one from the standard itself, right? And so, for example, if you're a a payment application vendor, you know, what will will happen is that uh, instead of having to go through the standard PA DSS process, you'll um, eventually be moving to the software security standard, uh, and and the the two programs will be rolled into one. Um, Practically, what that means is that there's going to be a a degree of scrutiny in the way that you produce software and how secure that software is that we haven't really seen from other compliance mandates before. Now, the standard itself, there's actually two standards. One is the software security standard, and one is the secure lifecycle standard. The software security standard is, again, a more in-depth standard on a specific release of software. But one of the things that PCI recognized uh, early on is that as people are moving to agile and DevOps development, it's uh, simply not feasible to necessarily have every release of software go through this you know, the certification process and still remain nimble and agile and, and use sort of modern software development processes. So they've introduced this concept of a secure life cycle standard so that uh, instead, of nest, instead of having every single release when, you know, organizations are sometimes shipping multiple releases in a day, instead of having every one of those releases certified, 
you can periodically get the software itself certified. And then if you have the development process around it certified, then essentially it allows you to release more frequently without going through the same depth of analysis for every single individual release. You know, if you're somebody who produces software in the payment ecosystem, and specifically payment uh, vendors, uh, you know, you're going to have to, at some point, uh, actually comply with this standard. Now, there, you know, there are thoughts about how this might apply to other participants in the ecosystem. At this point, it doesn't necessarily apply to people who who um, have to comply with the PCI DSS. So that's the common one I think we mostly think of when we hear PCI, which is a data security standard. Uh, but as you know, in in the PCI DSS standard, there is actually a section on application security today. And, you know, it's, it's possible that some time in the future, elements of the software security standard could find their way there. I think a lot of it will depend on how it rolls out and how it's received in industry. Uh, the other, I think, bigger impact, if you will, is I believe they're setting a precedent. And if you look at the OWASP Top 10, Open Web Application Security Project Top 10, that was a standard that was uh, you know, developed many, many years ago. In 2006, the PCI Data Security Standard uh, sort of, I guess you could say, made OWASP Top 10 popular. People learned about this idea that there are 10 really common application security risks. And what happened was after PCI adopted it, it was almost, uh, you know, I, I won't say every single other standard followed PCI, but the, the, something like 30 different standards today that all reference uh, the OWASP top 10. And so PCI has this, um, I guess you could say, reputation of being kind of a leader from a compliance standpoint. And so what we believe is PCI is stepping up the scrutiny that we're paying on payment applications, the payment providers by way of software security that is largely absent from the entire rest of industry. With the exception of a handful of pockets in, like, say, defense and large banks, most industries do not have any mandate to produce secure software. Hmm. They have other security mandates, but they don't have to build security into the development process. Uh, I think it'll be hard for things like, say, industrial Internet of Things providers and um, uh, automotive manufacturers and telecom and other parts of infrastructure that are really critical to, uh, to really justify that they don't also make sure the products are, uh, you know, are, are very robust and secure in the same way as payments are doing today. So we, we feel like you know, PCI is setting a precedent and other industries are going to follow suit. That's Rohit Sethi from Security Compass. We were able to spend last Thursday and Friday in Crystal City, Virginia, observing the Atlantic Council's Cyber 912 Strategy Challenge. The competition challenged teams of students to develop policy response recommendations for the U.S. president. The scenario was a tabletop exercise with well-crafted ancillary material. It presented the competing teams with an evolving situation designed to capture much of the ambiguity crises carry. Congratulations to the two winning teams and their coaches. NDU Team 3 of the U.S. National Defense University won the professional track, and the U.S. Air Force Academy's Team DeLongrand took top honors in the student track. And congratulations to the other participants as well. The ones we observed represented themselves and their home institutions with credit.
We won't go into details about the scenario because we don't want a repetition of the Orson Welles' War of the Worlds moment we had the last time we did so. But we will say that the scenario featured several superficially or perhaps coincidentally related incidents. In any case, the exercise was for the most part conducted under the Chatham House rules and will honor the conventions of non-attribution by confining ourselves to general observations. It was striking how difficult the teams found it to acknowledge and accommodate conditions of uncertainty. The exercise materials intentionally left a great deal in doubt, and most of the teams tended in their recommendations to be more confident in their understanding of the evolving situation than the evidence warranted. The teams also tended to perceive connections among disparate events where in fact no such connection existed and were nothing beyond. Simple correlation, similarity, coincidence, and so forth led many to conclude that the scenario painted a picture of a large-scale coordinated cyber attack by a hostile nation-state. One of the harder lessons to learn is skepticism about our tendency as humans to perceive noise as signal. In the presentations themselves, some of the teams drifted away from considering their audience. A decision briefing is prepared for a particular decision-maker, and its goal is to inform the decision not to display the briefer's command of their material. One other lesson was drawn by a student we had occasion to speak with. Policy is a lot harder and more complex than technical people tend to think it is. So another interesting exercise by the Atlantic Council, a very good and intelligent effort by all who competed. And finally, ransomware motivated by fandom flares in the fight for the top rank in YouTube. It's between T-Series and, of course, PewDiePie. Mr. Pie's adherents have been distributing PewDiePie ransomware, regarded as a poor copy of Shell Locker, and more recently and dangerously PewCrypt, both with a view to forcing victims to subscribe to Mr. Pie's channel. There is no particular reason to think that Mr. Pie is orchestrating his fans' hacks. But on the other hand, it must be said that YouTube stars, as we've come to call them, hardly offer the most edifying of examples. Stay in school, kids. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. 
This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Rob, it's always great to have you back. Um, you all at Dragos uh, recently uh, made an announcement, a purchase uh, that's going to benefit a lot of people. What, what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. So our company is a technology company in the ICS or industrial security space. There's a lot of people that want to get started in ICS security, but it may not be really obtainable. Or there are a lot of companies that want to dip their toe into doing something, but it's it's very difficult, I think, to go from, we're not doing anything today to, hey, we're rolling out an industrial security program. Um, and, and one of the early companies in this space was a company called Next Defense. So they had a technology that used to be called Sophia and then got rebranded as Integrity. It was a continuous monitoring for the purpose of asset identification tool. One of the actual first passive asset identification tools in the, in the industrial security community came out of Idaho National Labs um, and, and then, of course, Next Defense built a company around it. Um, so we announced that we purchased Next Defense, and so we got access to their product and all. We, we bought out the company. So by purchasing Next Defense, it allows us to have access to their product as well, which is Integrity. Uh, and then a legacy product that we actually had, which was an assessment tool called CyberLens and, and had been used in the community for a long time. Um, so we've taken uh, CyberLens, the assessment tool, and Integrity, which is more of a fully professional, continuous monitoring kind of asset identification tool, and we're just making it free to the community. Essentially, if you're in the in the community, you're welcome to download them for free. Um, they're they're really meant to help people get a, a handle on identification, or at least a starting place. Not a full feature identification tool. Obviously, we're a company. It's a hey, if you really want a professional tool that's going to help you do this long term, as well as threat detection and response and everything else. Sure, go buy our product. But hey, for the rest of the community, as a starting place, especially for the smaller players, just here's a a tool to go get started. I, I think. Something that we can all agree on is the industrial community is special, and and we all care that we keep the lights on and the water going and similar. So um, one of the cool things about running a company is trying to think about ways to give back to the community. So here the community goes, you know, have the tools, have fun. If you need more, obviously come contact us, but it's, it's mainly a we hope this helps the community some. All right. Well, Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.